all of a sudden I didn't have a job. I wasn't living in an apartment in Tokyo and I had a choice. I could apply for another job or I could just say, hey, I'm going to get a one-way ticket to Ho Chi Minh City and do my own thing. And that's what I did. podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. You know, a lot of times on the show, we say DC, like, I'm in the DC, I went to the DC, and uh, a lot of listeners don't know what we're referring to. So I actually created a podcast for people that are curious about our private community. It's got a thousand established location independent entrepreneurs in there, and we do a lot of things, which I'm not going to explain here, but I do explain in detail if you are an established location independent entrepreneur and you're looking to connect with others that have seen the same kind of success that you're seeing, check out tropicalmba.com slash DC podcast. Now I know I'm boring you. I'm going to loop this all together, boss man. But I was going to do a little bit of clarification here. DC stands for Dynamite Circle. I was on an unmentionable podcast the other week where it was referred to... Unmentionable? Unmentionable podcast the other week where it was referred to as (laughs) Diamond Circle, I believe. But it's Dynamite Circle. Yeah, we just say DC nowadays. But that's not good for Tropical NBA podcast listeners. So check it out, tropicalnba.com slash DC podcast. But what I wanted to say is one of the things that we do inside the DC is that we host events. And at those events, we find practitioners in our community, people who are implementing a skill set in their business in an exceptional way. And we have them share that skill with their peers in small workshops. And I really love this format. And so at our next event in Barcelona, we were looking for someone who's built a business off of YouTube. And today's guest is that person. So just a little bit of background. Today on the show, we've got Gabriella Wallace, or Gabby to her friends, and many thousands of YouTube subscribers. How many YouTube subscribers does Gabby have? Many. Gabby is an extremely well-qualified English-as-a-second-language teacher. Like, she didn't just grab a certificate. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, she's got a master's in teaching English as a foreign language, and she's passionate about language. Like, she's fluent in Spanish and stuff. She spent many years teaching English at a really high level, and a lot of that in Japan. But for reasons that you're going to hear on this episode, she got fed up with that traditional route of making a living, you know, teaching language abroad. And so she decided to start her own company, Go Natural English, sharing English language courses online through YouTube, and also offering courses. On this episode, our main goal was to get the best YouTube tips. Like Boss Man and I are flirting with the idea of doing a little YouTube in ourselves. I mean, it's a massively powerful platform to get customers for your business and to grow your audience. So we're going to talk about our best tips, but we couldn't help but start at the beginning with her fundamental motivation, why she was inspired to start a new life as an entrepreneur, even though you know she had a great career and a pretty established trajectory. Of 
rebellious, I guess. I wanted to make my own schedule. I wanted to be able to take time off when I wanted to. I mean, this is the selfish side of things, right? I, I can talk about the other side of things where I'm trying to help English learners, but let's just be real and be selfish for a minute. Like, I wanted the opportunity to travel when and where I wanted to. And, you know, there were times where, like, for example, I really wanted to come to Brazil for carnival, but it usually is in the middle of the semester as a teacher. And you can't just, like, take off a week or two and say, hey, I'm going to carnival, like, right. see you later. It's just not something you do when you're working at a school or at a university or a corporation as a language teacher. So I wanted more freedom, you know, just for my life in general and the ability to possibly, you know, earn more or earn less because, it, you know, it can go either way when you don't have a stable paycheck. I just wanted kind of that challenge. Most people feel that like 99.5% of people I think can resonate with that. So few have done what you've been able to do. So what were some of the things you started to do in response to that? Through, you know, starting to research online and listen to podcasts, you know, yours and a few other ones, I realized, you know, the idea of maybe creating an asset versus selling my time or selling, you know, my hour for a certain number of dollars or yen or whatever. And so I thought about how to leverage what I was already doing. I was already providing a service to English learners. Back in 2011, I was teaching in a corporation and I thought about the struggles that my students had, like the common questions that they had, the difficulties they had. And I thought about how I could help them, not by giving them more of my time, but by creating something that would both help them and be an asset to me. So that was video. That's where the YouTube thing comes in. I have a friend who's a teacher and he's a wonderful teacher. He feels the same concerns. You know, he doesn't have all the freedom to go around when he wants or to increase his income, but he's worried about the level of stress that comes with running a business. And I think he doesn't feel like it's worth the trade. What's your perspective on that after having made the transition to running your own business? I absolutely love the stress. I mean, it's like, it's a challenge. It's sort of like, you know, playing a game that you want to win. And yeah, it's not easy. It definitely takes, you know, a lot of work and yeah, stress. But I wish that I had made the leap to entrepreneurship earlier, but I was like very hesitant to let go of a full-time teaching job. I was working on my YouTube channel for about three years while I was teaching full-time. I didn't want to give up something stable and something I knew that was like a paycheck coming in and like the thing that my family wanted wanted me to do like have a you know a nice job and stuff that was hard to give up but I love having that pressure I think it makes me kind of hustle a little harder <laughs> tell us a little bit about the jumping off point when did you realize you could make this a full-time deal just income based like when I started making enough to replace my salary as a professor I was a professor in Tokyo you know making a decent salary and when I was matching that with what I was pulling in online that's when I was for sure I felt ready that I could make the leap even though you know it wasn't like an ongoing paycheck it was like okay I've, I've proven that you know month after month for about six months I was making enough to replace my paycheck and that's when I felt pretty confident that it was time. So were you just watching it go up and you're like, okay, next month, next month. Tell us about how you felt when you finally hit that six month mark. Yeah, I felt amazed. Like I didn't, I think there were years, not just like days or weeks or months, but years where I was thinking, ah, oh, this like making money online thing can't be true. This is like too good to be true. But then seeing it happen, seeing, you know, by using different strategies, by making different offers to my audience, like seeing what worked and what didn't work, it just really, it helped my self-confidence to see that, yeah, it can work and I can do this. 
Gabby, on the second year of my business, I drove a $350 car and it was a pretty depressing time because I didn't know if things were going to work out. I have a note here that says you were laid off at one point. Like, do you have any like dark entrepreneur stories for us from the early days? I do. I can share that kind of dark day. That was, was that only about a year and a half ago? That was like a year and a couple months ago. It seems so long ago. And it was such a dark day. It was like close to my birthday and I got laid off. Well, actually, I got invited to quit. So it sounds really much nicer, right? Invited to quit. I'm going to use that in the future. (laughs) You've been invited to quit. (laughs) (laughs) And I got invited to leave my apartment also known as evicted because I was being entrepreneurial again with Airbnb and it kind of went against housing policies. And, you know, looking back probably wasn't the smartest thing to do, but I think that was such a blessing in disguise because it not only helped me make that leap, it was like it forced me to make that leap. All of a sudden, I didn't have a job. I wasn't living in an apartment in Tokyo and I had a choice. I could apply for another job. I could, you know, get another lease in Tokyo or I could just say, hey, I'm going to get a one-way ticket to Ho Chi Minh City and do my own thing. And that's what I did. I had a moment like that. I think a lot of us did where you're trying to balance your job with your side hustle. And oftentimes the side hustle will interfere with the job or something comes up and then you've lost like 75% of your income or more. And for me, it was that. And there's that kind of moment of truth. Like, do you go with the 25% or whatever and try to grow it? And for me, I remember I'd like to say like it was like really tough decision, but I was like, no way. I'm going with the small income that comes from my asset. It was like at that point, it was so clear to me, even though it wasn't really enough to live off of. So in your case, were you like, oh, I'm good on this in Ho Chi Minh? Or were you like, I don't know, I might not be able to make the plane ticket back home or whatever? How tight were things? I was doing okay in Ho Chi Minh City. My business's income was really up and down because I was doing course launches, which, you know, when you do the launch, it's awesome. But then the next month, if you're not launching something, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I don't know. How do I, you know, stabilize this? So, I mean, it was up and down, but I knew I could make it work. And I stayed in Ho Chi Minh City for two months, but then the travel bug got me. And last year, I was traveling just nonstop the whole year. And you've been able to achieve growth while you're traveling, yeah? So you're the one? Yeah. How do you do that? Well, so one thing is batching. Like when I have an opportunity to be in a recording studio or in a place like where I'm living, often I'll I'll do at home recordings. I will batch and record, you know, 20, 30, 50 videos if I can at once and then release those over time. So automating the release process. Like if I, you know, say to my YouTube subscribers, you will see a new video every Friday. It's not that I'm sitting down on Friday morning and recording something, editing it, and then releasing it on YouTube the same day. It's like I try to batch everything just to make it very consistent. And then, you know, if I'm on a plane or if I'm having fun traveling somewhere, I can have that flexibility. Well, you're really pulling the curtain back on the internet here, giving away all (laughs) the secrets. (laughs) You mean to tell me you don't show up every Friday and do a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) This travel, though, and work is really a blessing and a curse. I sometimes wonder myself if I'm more productive or less productive. But it sounds like for you, it's batching is one of the things that gets you through the travel. Is there anything else? Nothing makes you productive like having a plane flight in 72 hours. Oh, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Like I got to get all these emails done because I don't know when the next time I'm going to have Wi-Fi is. No, that's a serious deadline, right? I mean, 
having some structure to my schedule. Like I recently read, you know, the Miracle Morning book that's pretty popular. Is like, you know, just getting up earlier and getting your priorities out of the way. That's pretty helpful. I mean, it doesn't always work. There's days where it's really hard to get up at, you know, 5, 6 a.m. But I try to give myself structure. I think whether you're traveling or not, that's what an entrepreneur has to do is you have to give yourself structure because you're not clocking in. You're not doing a timesheet. Actually, that's a lie. I started doing a timesheet for myself just because I wanted to see where my hours are going. But I feel totally different about that because that's for me. That's not for anyone else. A little bit of what we're going to be talking about today is some things that we're teasing that you'll be presenting to other DCers in Barcelona in a few months. So we're going to be talking about something that Ian and I know very little about, which is YouTube marketing. Yeah, you said 150,000 subscribers? Yes. I think that's a lot. That's quite a few. One thing that's really important on YouTube is to brand yourself. I mean, if you're going to be the face of your business or whoever's going to be up there on YouTube, you want to brand yourself. I'll talk about me. I talk a lot about speaking English now. Naturally, I try to you know, help English learners to understand how natives speak as opposed to academic English or you know, formal English. So I'm, I'm kind of niching down in that way. Me personally, I guess people respond well to the way I break things down, the way that I share a little bit of my story or my life or my own language learning experiences. I'll try to be funny sometimes, although I don't know like how much of a comedian I am. But I guess you know sometimes it's just a vibe that you put off that people kind of vibe with, that your audience vibes with. I mean, maybe they wish they had an English teacher like me. Maybe they wish that they, you know, had me as a friend or something. I, I don't know exactly what's going through their minds, but I do know that kind of being myself and differentiating myself, saying, you know, I'm not your traditional high school English teacher, which ironically, I was a high school Spanish teacher, but I try to differentiate myself from maybe where people had been learning English before. Just be real and don't try to hide like, okay, I, I am living in Brazil. I am traveling the world. Like, that's part of me and who I am. It's like the cool driver's ed teacher with beers under the seat, you know? Totally. Yeah, I'm taking them. (laughs) Totally. One of the things that a lot of your audience say about you is how clear you explain things. And a lot of your videos, you don't try to do too much with them, I've noticed. Like, you have one or two almost like hacks. Like, here are little tricks that you can do to make a big difference in the way you speak English. Exactly. So bite-sized, quick wins that people can watch and feel like they got something from it. I mean, this is really key if you're going to do YouTube videos. Like, people want to feel like they got something out of three minutes. I mean, if I watch a YouTube video and it's just kind of, like, cute or whatever, I mean, that's fine, but I want to feel like I'm learning something. And, yeah, quick tips are different from what I sell in my courses on the website. If you're going to start a YouTube channel, you want to think about, from the get-go, if you can, like, how is your YouTube channel going to be different from what you're offering. Maybe if you're selling a course or you're selling your tutoring or your coaching or whatever it is, whatever your business model is, kind of think about what the difference is there. And so your YouTube channel is kind of like a gateway. Is that what you're saying to your products? Exactly. Is that kind of where the first time people see you? Yes. A lot of people, I would say at least a third of my audience comes to my website from YouTube. So it's kind of a sampler, an appetizer. It's like 
like, you know, just meeting me. I started doing these videos just to kind of help my classroom students. And I didn't have a business plan. I didn't think about these things in advance. I didn't think about making an info product or a video course. I had no plan. I had no clue what these things were or how to do any of that in the beginning. But over time, after I released, you know, more and more videos, I had people messaging me saying, how can I buy your course? And I was like, course? Oh, yes, my course. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so important, though, because you tell me, but I think first and foremost, you're a teacher, and then you kind of stumbled upon these tools, and now maybe you're more of a marketer or a YouTuber or something like that. But I think a lot of times people listen to a show like this, and then they sit down in front of YouTube, and they're like, okay, I'm going to create an account, and I'm going to become an entrepreneur, and I'm going to travel. Yeah. But you started in a very different place, and I think it's important to know how these stories unfold, and it's from you being an educator, not from you wanting to profit from a YouTube channel. Exactly, yeah. I like your point, Ian. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Part of why I wanted to talk to you, Gabby, is that you're doing some trainings with entrepreneurs in our community. And maybe we could make a hypothetical channel about if Ian and I wanted to help people grow businesses. Let's do that, for example. Like maybe you could bring us through some of your tips on, you know, I love watching people like you on YouTube. You know, like I follow a lot of creators, I subscribe to their channels and I see what's happening. And I feel like this is a great opportunity for teachers, especially people that have a knowledge base that they want to share. I'm just curious if you could just walk us through some of these tips, you know, how even to get started. So like my first question would just be, how many videos should I be making? In the beginning, if you're just starting out, I would try to make as many as possible. But that said, don't let it be so overwhelming that you don't get started. So I think for myself personally, if I had sat down and made a list of, you know, the first 100 videos that I need to make, I never would have done it. So what I did personally is a little different from my advice, maybe. Personally, I just... I had an idea for one question that I wanted to answer for my students, and I sat down and I made that one video. And then like a week later, I made a couple more videos, and it was very sporadic. I don't really recommend that, but that's what worked for me just to get started. And those first videos were bad. They were embarrassing. I didn't edit them. You can literally see me turning on the camera and walking around it to sit down because I didn't edit out that part. <laughs> I would recommend, like, if you are really motivated and you're like, yeah, I can do this, make a list of maybe 20 video topics that you want to make. A 20 is a decent number to start with. If you can release videos at least once a week, maybe three times a week would be even better. In the beginning, it's really good to get a lot of content out there. And then that's what I've done, right? Is I was releasing videos three times a week for the last year or two, but in the last six months, I've slowed it down to once a week, right? Because I have a lot of content out there and my subscriber base is still growing quickly. How long do you suspect it takes people to get momentum, to like understand if the videos that they're putting out are even valuable? Because I'm assuming people aren't watching the first 10 or 20 or even 30. Yeah. And what's the feedback loop on that? Yeah. So it takes time, but you can do certain things to speed that up. Like some of my first videos that didn't get seen for months are now the most popular ones, like, you know, over a million views. And that's crazy to me to think about how many people have watched, you know, a video about like how to improve your listening skills, but probably a lot of husbands, maybe not a lot of <laughs> English learners. I'm not sure about that, but that's awesome. And so to speed it up, I mean, you've got to do some dirty work. Like you have to get your hands dirty. You have to go into like Facebook groups. You have to email people. You have to say, Hey, you know, I created this video. I'd love to get your feedback on it. Or I created this video. Maybe it could be helpful to you or your students. I think there's wordings that you can 
and use that are a little less self-promotional and more like, hey, I'd love to get your feedback or something like that, you know, just to get people watching your videos. Even if it's, you know, your mom, your cousin, your best friends. I mean, the first people that watched my videos were just people I had on my personal Facebook account. And then going into other groups or forums or places where people are looking for your content is a way to, you know, spread the word. I mean, also being smart about your titles, like titling your videos, things that people are searching for, like, I don't know how to start an online business or something like that, you know, good SEO sense, as opposed to my first video, like no one's going to be searching for my first video. You know what I mean? I don't want to go too deep, too quick here, but you're talking about SEO and you're talking about potentially metrics. How important all of those things? Are you paying attention to metrics? Are you in the back end of YouTube trying to optimize your channel? I am paying attention to demographics, like where my viewers are watching from, what their, you know, gender, age, country. Those are more the things that concern me because that's going to affect my messaging. And I see the subscribers going up, but I personally don't get too technical with analytics. I look for, you know, some keywords that people might be searching for, but that, that's about as far as I go. I mean, what matters to me, because this is a business and not just, you know, something to make me feel good about myself and make me feel popular. Like I'm looking at our people converting from my YouTube channel to my email list to buying my eBooks or video courses. That's a more important metric. I see. And tell us just because I'm curious a little bit more about how that funnel looks like. I mean, how does that funnel work? How do you actually track things in there? I'm always trying to improve it because, again, I'm coming from a place where, like, I have training in education. I have training in how to teach grammar. I never studied business or marketing or, you know, online anything. And there's no playbook for this stuff still. No. And it's exciting because it's a lot of like trial and error and experimentation. And what might work for my audience of English learners might not be the best choice for you guys, like for, you know, teaching native English speakers how to start their own online business. But basically, because my main thing is info products, courses, I'm asking people in every single video to come over to my website so I can give them a free thing, like a free training. So, you know, that's how I'm asking them to come on over and get in touch with me, give me their email address. So the kind of typical lead magnet thing, and then they get a free training sample, a course. And yeah, from there, you know, they're on the email list. I let them know what else is going on. I send them more tips, more education. It's also a good way to remind people, like when I release a new video, I'll say, hey, I just released a new free tip. Come on over to YouTube and watch it. And so that contributes to raising the number of views, stuff like that. Yeah. But specifically, I mean, when they're on YouTube, is there like an opt-in box? Are you like saying like, okay, I had 100,000 visitors this week on my channel. I should have 99,000 opt-ins on my email list. Are you getting that granular with it? I'm not getting that granular, but I'm looking at, okay, is my email list growing? Generally, are my subscribers growing? And I just make sure in every single video now to let people know about my goal, right? My goal is to help them by getting them on my email list. So I say twice, you know, in a five minute video, I say twice, oh, before I forget, let me invite you to this free sample course. You know, you should know about it. You can come get it at my website. So I just make sure that I'm showing up and I'm 
telling people, you know, where they can get more information. And it would be awesome to get more granular with the numbers, but time's limited. And so I haven't really gone there now. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we talked to Eric Banholtz, who did a presentation on YouTube at our last event. I think it was in Europe. And basically, same story, right? He's like, has this pretty big YouTube channel, is drawing people to his products, and yet he's not really paying attention that much to the metrics. I think it's a good message, right? Because you're focused on the content. You're not focused on optimizing your channel, which is a totally different skill set. And so the reason why you came to YouTube is to teach people language. And that's still the reason why you're there, even though you have all these subscribers. I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, one metric that I do take a look at sometimes is like how long people watch the video for. Because if I have a video that's five minutes, but people are only watching an average of two minutes, then, you know, that's something that changed the way that I deliver my call to action. I used to only say the call to action at the end. But if I'm waiting until four minutes and 58 seconds to say, come to my website, nobody's going to hear it, right? Because they're all clicking out halfway through the video. So that's one thing I strongly recommend is like have a call to action in the beginning as well. So people will find out. I've noticed, you know, you have these short links at the bottom of your videos where you're like, hey, you know, you can kind of learn about my courses here and you should definitely watch this next video if you like this one. And one of the things I think is YouTube so powerful for is building trust really fast because you have 50 to 100 videos, you know, on any given channel and I could like bounce around and hear your call to action like 40 times in 30 minutes. And I could be totally fine with that because of all the value that I'm getting from watching the tips that you're offering. Oh, well, trust is a really good point. And I think that's key. That's one of the main reasons to have a YouTube channel because people will see your face. If you choose to have your face on the channel, you know, you could do a PowerPoint presentation or something different. But even the fact that your brand is showing up when you say you're going to show up, like, hey, guys, we're releasing a video every Friday and you actually do it. That says a lot about you or your brand or your business. So I think it's huge. I remember not too long ago when we used to promise podcasts every Thursday and then we wouldn't show up and we get some hate mail. <laughs> I think we probably lost, I mean, we lost subscribers for sure because people, you know, trusted us to show up. Yeah. YouTube, you don't have to commit to doing a weekly release, but you know, if you do, it would be good to, to show up. But in the beginning, you can just kind of, what I did was I, I posted videos when I felt like it. I mean, that wasn't the best strategy. That was having zero strategy, but that's how I got started. And if that's better than doing nothing, right? So I just, I would say get started. That's the main thing. Tell us a little bit about the equipment that you're using. It's pretty simple. For a while, I was using a smartphone. For a while, I was using... Until like when? Just so we can get an idea of like how far into your business you went. I'll give you the progression. Like from the beginning, I actually bought a flip cam. I don't know if you guys remember like... Oh yeah, okay. we had one of those. We used to make product videos with those. Oh yeah, big time. They stopped making that, but that was a great camera. The files were so big. That's all I remember. Like my hard drive was full from like a five minute video. <laughs> so there's no need to buy a flip cam anymore. But there was that. Then there was just like a digital camera. And then I think I upgraded to actually have a mic. So I got a lav mic. And that was great because that improved the audio quality a lot. That was just a generic one. I think it you know cost less than $15. But it was still an improvement. And then I got a sort of semi-professional camera, like a Canon T3i. And I've been using that on and off. But as I traveled, I didn't have that with me the last year. So I was using my smartphone a lot, my smartphone plus a lav mic. Now I'm reunited with my kind of nice camera and I use that plus a Zoom audio recorder. So it's not actually connected to the camera, two separate files, and I get to match up my talking and the audio. 
I'm curious because I can see the stats of videos that I watch online. I think it's pretty fascinating. Do you ever go out and look at videos in your niche and see what's working for other people? I've also noticed YouTubers doing like response videos to like really powerful videos. And so do you have any tips about that? Like how to grow your audience based on seeing what's already working on YouTube? Totally. So yeah, that's a great point you brought up for strategy. I mean, one thing you can do when I see a lot of views on some videos in my niche, I think they're probably throwing money at the video. You can promote your video. You can put some money behind it and get YouTube to you know, put it up higher in the rankings or whatnot. So if you want to be cheap like me, you don't want to spend a lot of money on your videos, you can do a response video. Like you said, I haven't actually done this in a long time, but I think you can still do it where you, you sort of make a video and then you put it in the comments or you put it as a response video to someone else. Another thing you can do is make a video that's maybe like a review of something or like your opinion on something and just post it on your own channel, not necessarily a response to someone else. I mean, one thing I would say with that is obviously like probably want to keep it positive or if it's not a positive review, be ready for some special comments or, you know, negative throwback. But yeah, I mean, those are great ways to get your voice out there and get people to notice you, especially if you want to do like a collaboration with someone who's related to what you do, but more popular. You would comment on someone else's video, essentially, and you would say like how they did this right or how they did this wrong. You get their attention, but then you also get their traffic. Is that kind of the strategy there? Yeah, or maybe like your additional points. Like I might say, you know, hey, that was a great video. I just wanted to add some of my own extra points or advice or experience or whatever. Something, you know, follow up or yeah. I mean, basically that's it is you're riding on that person's traffic. I see. So like I watch a lot of car videos. I'll respond. I'll say like, you probably shouldn't hit that with the hammer. There is a tool for that. It's called this tool. Right. Well, and there's a lot of different ways to make a living on YouTube. I mean, things that I don't even touch, like, I mean, making like music playlists or something, you know, where there's ads on them. I mean, that's not really what I'm doing. I'm trying to teach a language. But I mean, there's a lot of different strategies if you just want to make money on YouTube. Few more questions before we get to the most terrible mistakes that you've made. Nice. <laughs> so YouTube's really famous for people being mean. Like people in the comments are often really horrible. Can you deal with that? Can you delete people from your channel or how does that work? Yeah, you can delete comments. I believe you can ban people or block people, but I don't know because I don't do it. I leave all comments up no matter how nasty they are. And I get nasty, nasty comments. And I just think, you know, the more comments you have, the higher you're going to show up in results. So they're helping me out. I mean, even if it's not really something I'd want to see on there, I would say like 99 out of 100 comments are so sweet and so nice. And my audience is awesome. But if you're out in the public, like on YouTube, which is really, really in the public, like you have to be ready to read some nasty comments because there's people who just like to do that for some reason. And I don't know, I'm kind of sensitive. I don't like reading stuff like that. But one thing that I do is I have a virtual assistant who helps me respond to comments. And that has helped a lot because then my mental energy doesn't go there. I think there are some things that are very unique to YouTube because people are coming in from the side who don't know you. So they'll just say, you know, who's this person saying this is stupid or whatever, whereas... So that's pretty nice, by the way. 
From what I, I've never seen something <laughs> that nice on YouTube. I don't think me and Ian get much of that because generally speaking, there's not a lot of drive-by traffic coming to the podcast. You know, there are people that have heard about it through word of mouth. So that's my question to you is I've seen a lot of people grow great audiences through podcasts and through blogging. So like what's YouTube uniquely good at or who's it suited for? Which kinds of businesses and founders? Well, I'll say one thing. If your primary audience is in China, it's not for you. That's one of the reasons why I have a podcast because then, you know, people there can find me. What it is good for is like your demographic is maybe between, well, teenagers and well, honestly, my demographic is a little bit older, maybe 30 to 50. I mean, people are of all ages are using YouTube, but if people are looking for how to do something, if you want to know how to do something and you don't want to bother calling a friend or a family member or something, you're going to type it into Google. Maybe you trust Google would know better even than your your friend or your family member for some things, right? And then Google owns YouTube, so it's going to come up, a video is going to come up if you're searching for like how to start an online business, like your video is going to come up hopefully first or somewhere in there. There's just so much potential for people to find you because so many people are using Google. And like I said, Google owns YouTube. So it comes up. That's a great way for people to find you through search. If people are just kind of cruising on YouTube and kind of going deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole, like I'm not sure if that drive-by traffic would be super targeted, but hey, I mean, you might help some someone find out about what internet business is, someone who's never even thought about it, like, you know, me 10 years ago. And so that's a great thing too. Ian and I always joke that we have a face for radio. I'm curious, like when I look at like one or two videos that Ian and I did, I'm always like, oh, we look like shit. We're wearing that stupid shirt. How much do you think about like how you look like that's probably my hang up. You should see the scarf that he's wearing right now. <laughs> I don't want to have to look at myself. <laughs> How much does that play a role in effective YouTube marketing is presenting yourself? I don't know. What do you think about how you look on your channel, I guess? My opinion is your personality and how you come across on the camera are the most important. If you cannot connect with your audience through your camera, you're not going to get them. You have to practice looking at the camera like it's your favorite student or your favorite person in the world or someone that you love. Like You have to be able to connect with your viewer and treat them like you're talking directly to them and let your personality shine. Like Please don't read a tutorial from a piece of paper like looking away from the camera like you have to make them feel like you're engaging with them I mean looks will help and being polished and looking like you know you're the kind of person that your audience wants to engage with maybe that's not a polished look maybe they want to engage with someone that looks like a surf bum or like whatever you're marketing you want to embody that right for me if I'm embodying English teacher I probably want to look a little polished right you want to connect with the person and you want to look like you want your brand to look, whatever that is. So always looks help. But I mean, the things that are more important is what I said, you know, engaging, connecting and kind of representing your brand, how you want it to look. Pretty simple answer there, Dan. Stick to radio. Stick to radio. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. She tried to say it nicely. Humor us. And let's roll back the clock to when you first started your YouTube channel and experienced entrepreneurial Gabby can go back and inform a younger, more employed Gabby. And what would you do differently with your YouTube channel in order to grow your business faster? 
Well, first of all, I'd always do my hair because I have one video that's like over a million views and my hair looks horrible. I can't stand it. But seriously. <laughs> I have to interrupt then. What are like the most unlikely hit videos? Oh, well, that one, it's like five secrets to improving your listening skills or something like that or speaking skills. I think just because the word secrets is in the title. I'll always put the word secrets in your titles. That's what I wish I'd done from the beginning. And do your hair. And do your hair. Because <laughs> now you're stuck with it. It's too big of a lead funnel. I'm not going to take it down. I'm not going to take a video down with over a million views. Yeah. So always do your hair. What else? I would, from the get-go, if I could have, I don't know if it would be possible, but think more about the difference between what am I putting on my YouTube channel for free versus what am I putting in paid materials. Like, I mean, they can be kind of similar, but there's clear differences. You want to be able to tell people like what the difference is. So that's one thing. Another thing is thinking about privacy. Like, If you're going to be the face of your channel, this is really the biggest thing, honestly. I think in the beginning, I wanted to be popular online. I wanted to have have my name well known and now I'm kind of like oh my gosh I wish I hadn't used my real name like I wish I had said hi I'm Betty the English teacher or something like that you know like have a stage name or just use like my first name or something I mean there's pros and cons right because I have that expertise now like oh wow I have that subscriber base and that's cool people know me for that but on the other hand I have a lot of people who you know they're maybe English learners and they kind of get in touch with me through more personal contact methods and, you know, I not really like that. So like they can search you on Facebook and say, oh, I didn't know you were in town and stuff like that. Exactly. And so I'm more careful now about, you know, not saying my exact location just because you never know. Although I have done in-person meetups with my YouTube community, which is super cool being able to go to a city like Tokyo, Ho Chi Minh City, you know, Indonesia and in Brazil, I might do one. But I'm a bit more careful about that. I, I do get a lot of messages through like my personal Facebook account, which is is not the appropriate method for getting in touch with my English learning business. So, you know, those things could be stopped or that you could have that not happen if you thought ahead a little bit. Like, do I want people to know my personal name, identity, whatever? Interesting. So in, in terms of like you being the star of the show, it sounds like maybe you would do that a little bit differently so you could have a night off right before your videos go out. But do you think it's possible at this point? And would you do it differently? I mean, do you think it needs to be the Gabby show or could you bring other people in and have it be just as successful? Yeah, I'm sure there's people out there who could do it even better than me. But I have been kind of honing this YouTube personal brand thing for five years. So it's almost like I need an actress and not so much an English teacher. You know what I mean? Like someone who has the skills to be on camera and not just to explain a grammar point. You have to have both in a way. Yeah, boss, man, we've always said we've got faces for radio, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Like, I'm so fascinated by stories like Gabby's and... I just see a lot of people because I like hanging out on YouTube, you know, and I think it's a fantastic platform and I can just see so many ways that you could make this work for your business. I'm not sure, man. There's a lot of cameras involved, although it's gotten easier, you know, face for radio. <laughs> there's a lot of obstacles to overcome for us, Dan. Yeah, there's a lot of obstacles. Let's put it that way. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> We'd love to hear your thoughts on YouTube. This one's going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash YouTube. And speaking of podcasts, if you want to check out that podcast, I recommend 
recorded about our private membership group, the DC podcast. I kind of just did it off the cuff answering questions. So if you have feedback on how we can make that better or how we can answer your questions, just let us know. All right, boss man, I'll catch you next Thursday morning. See you later. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.